Hello everyone, my name is Fatima and you are listening to my podcast, Lifetime of Talk. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about cancel culture. This is one of those research type of episodes, so I'll be talking through what I've discovered, such as the history behind cancel culture, the effects of it, and just my overall thoughts. I'm going to be honest with you, I went into researching with a little bit of bias that I will explain. So, I find it quite difficult to believe that cancel culture really has any sort of effect on most people who are being quote-unquote cancelled. I think cancel culture works only really based off of the person who is being cancelled, and the intersection of gender and race has a huge part to play in it. I truly believe that grace is not given to women in the same way it is to men, and it's even worse for women of colour. I'll probably explain that a bit more towards the end or just throughout the episode, but I just wanted to let you know that the mindset that I was in to begin with, even before researching, was the cancel culture hardly really works on the people that it should. Uh, The entire thing is really just a slippery slope, so you might agree with my statement or you might disagree, but my thoughts are really just based off of observation of how women, women of color, move in certain spaces in comparison to some of their counterparts. So now that I've kind of stated my bias and all that, I'm going to be telling you some of what I've learned. I've been working on this for a couple of days, so here are my findings and my thoughts on cancel culture. To understand cancel culture, we have to talk about its history. Cancel culture has existed for quite a while under the nature of many different names, public humiliation, call-out culture, you name it what you want, it's always been a surprisingly prevalent part of society. See, human beings, we work in clusters, we work in structures, and one main part of our structure is to make sure people stay in line. So, meaning that if someone does something that we deem wrong, and if we think that we have the support of our fellow peers to call it out in some way, we will. That is, of course, one part of human nature, the feeling to not only make sure things are going in a morally favorable way, but also sticking with our peers to make sure that that is enforced. The many sources that I visited mentioned that council culture as we know it now started in 2014. However, if we take a look at the definition of cancel culture, which is practice of publicly rejecting, boycotting, or ending support for particular people or groups because of their socially or morally unacceptable views or actions, then we can determine that it is not an entirely new phenomenon. I mean, the small details that they have noticed as part of cancel culture at times, such as ending support for particular people or publicly rejecting them, are things that have been practiced in the past. But if we go with the more so current wave of cancel culture, there is actually a connection to black culture. So let me break this down real quick. The movie 1991, New Jack City, has a character actually say that they would cancel that beep in reference to a plotline in the movie that I don't have time to explain, nor have I watched the movie, so... Uh, yeah, but you see, the that use of canceling someone is similar to the way that the term cancelled is actually used currently. And in 2010, Lil Wayne made a reference to the movie's phrase in his song, I'm Single. Then after that, we finally get to the moment where the term cancelled actually took off. Or took off to cough. 
there was a 2014 love and hip-hop episode in which cisco rosado used the phrase you're cancelled and like quickfire the phrase gained a lot of attention if we're going to get further into the discussion about cancel culture we have to talk about the effects i mean what comes cancellation so like the definition suggests there is the withdrawal of support from previous supporters there is the withdrawal of opportunities, brands, institutions working with you, or job opportunities, university opportunities, and more. But there's also deplatformation, which is not seen as often if we're going to be quite frank, but, you know, that's also one of them. And, of course, a whole lot of outrage. I wanted to briefly mention that outrage is actually used as a marketing tool for a lot of people and brands. I only wanted to bring this up because as I was reading up about cancel culture and from observing and seeing the discourse on Twitter when people are canceled, that there are actual there are actually a number of people who will gain more support after being canceled or called out. I don't exactly remember this person's name, but there is this country singer who was recently called out for being racist and using slurs and the next thing you know is being cancelled, but at a shocking turn of events, I'm actually really not that surprised. His songs were charting really high on iTunes or some other charts. So this isn't really anything new. Many people have actually gained publicity and in turn have sold out products or gained support in some way after being so-called cancelled, but I just thought I would bring that up because outrage is used in such a strange way in order to make gains nowadays. But we move. Cancel culture is a touchy subject and a hard topic to handle because of the weight of both the positives and the negatives. You see, minority groups have always been pushed under the rug when it comes to their desire to have people be held accountable for the things that are done to us. I mean, look at the things that happened in 2020. How many people walked away scotch-free, no consequences for their actions? We live in a world of structures that were built to uplift some people while making it hard for others to catch up. People who are higher up can seem so far from the day-to-day person in terms of many things, but specifically accountability. It is almost impossible to not want to grab onto the power that technology has given us in terms of being able to hold people accountable on our own, especially because otherwise the system won't. I'm going to be honest, I think for many white people it is easier to denounce cancel culture under the guise that it is toxic, ineffective, and inadequate as a form of holding people accountable. Like this quote from an article on Time reads, racist, sexist, and bigoted behavior or marks don't fly like they used to. This applies to not only wealthy people or industry leaders, but anyone whose privilege has historically shielded them from public scrutiny. Because they can't handle this cultural shift, they rely on phrases like cancel culture to delegitimize the criticism. The words of writer Sarah Haji. Another part of the article that I think really exemplifies kind of the issue with the overall conversation about cancel culture is another problem with the conversation about cancel culture, it oversimplifies. The term is used in so many contexts that it's rendered meaningless and precludes a nuanced discussion of the specific harm done and how those who did it should be held accountable. 
So to sum it all up, in my own words, the conversation often drifts from what actually matters. I would highly suggest reading this article. It's a quite short article, but I think it highlights how marginalized groups are affected by the oversimplification of cancel culture. I would also suggest reading the other articles I've linked as well. There's also actually a YouTube video by a YouTuber whom I just discovered called Khadija Mbo. I, my pronunciation is probably all wrong, but she did a video about cancel culture and I really loved the takes that she had about it. The video was great and I think it gives a great overview of not only the history of cancel culture and public humiliation, but also on the effects and how we see it today. I would highly suggest watching it. Uh, it will, of course, be linked in the show notes as well. Going back to the denouncing of cancel culture as a way to divert the attention of why people are trying to hold others responsible for their actions. For many people, it is comforting to know that people will actually finally be held accountable. For most people, it is not about ruining others' people's lives. It is about the safety of our existence not being questioned and undermined under the excuse of, well, they were young, or they didn't mean it that way, or it's not that bad, or any other excuse that can be come up with to dodge responsibility. Furthermore, it destroys the structure of people being of too high of a position to be held accountable. I mean, canceling someone means drawing support from them. It means not condoning their behavior. It means actually showing them that their actions have consequences. And for some, this level of ac accountability has perhaps been surpassed when people think of someone's life being quote-unquote over because they were cancelled. And yes, I agree that completely isolating somebody from society for messing up and not giving them the chance to change is completely unfair. But I think it should be understood that cancel culture does quite rarely impact the right people in the right way. It isn't used in the way it should be, and so it is called insufferable. That doesn't change the fact that many people have finally found action being taken from institutions who would otherwise favor to not do anything at all if injustices weren't publicly announced. And there are many times when still nothing is done, even when public figures are called out. If we go back to the structures I was talking about before, well, these structures maintain so many people people who are never held accountable for their actions, for their words, or for their impacts. In fact, these structures can even turn cancel culture against the groups who coined the term in the first place. Like I was saying at the very start of this, it is much easier for people to hold people of color accountable than it is to hold white people accountable. People of color know this from the very start of being part of any structure. Accountability is made for us to keep in line always, and if we don't, then consequences follow. Consequences, however, don't always follow for white people. The structure of privilege, ironically, but not surprisingly, works against all the effects of cancellation. At the end of the day, if a person is cancelled, there are still many people who will support them, even after they have been so-called cancelled. For better or worse, it will always be like that for certain people. Canceling people does not equate to completely ruining people's lives. Even if people are fired, lose some support, 
Most people are being cancelled will still have platforms, a loyal support system, and money to keep them going. Your opinion on cancel culture, whether you think it is good or bad, doesn't have to stop you from understanding the value and the issues with cancel culture. Personally, I know for myself, I'm not an active participant in discussions online in terms of Twitter threads or Instagram and YouTube comments, but whenever something comes up or someone does something that makes me uncomfortable and even upset at times, I just remove them from my radar. I don't think it is worth my time to tell a person why something that is blatantly disturbing and upsetting is that way. Neither do I find it worth it to stay if I don't see action of improvement or genuine apology, especially when it comes to internet personalities. Now, I'm not saying you should do the same thing for all people who might do something you deem inexcusable or offensive. The whole point about the discussion around cancel culture and what I'm trying to bring up today is that it really isn't that simple. I think a lot of that has to do with the language that is used when this topic is brought up. Words like problematic are used as an all-encompassing word for racist, sexist behavior, etc. But also for things like being rude to waiters who are just trying to do their jobs or even just being a bratty teen. You see, that blurred and changing perception of words like problematic doesn't make it easy to have discussions about cancel culture. Things that are downright offensive, hindering, and disturbing are called problematic when they are not just that. And this brings us back to the oversimplification of cancel culture. Now cancel culture in itself, is it bad? Is it good? I can't really say. At the start of this, I said that I barely really thought the effects of it work like people think it does, and I still hold true to that belief. It's no secret that many people don't think it's effective, and a lot of people do. And there's a lot of people who stand in the middle, like I do, unsure of whether it is good or bad. I could go on and on for quite a long time, but I think I'm going to end on my final note for today. The discussion around counterculture has to change in order for us to be able to fully comprehend the use of it. Accountability has to change from being the responsibility of people with most of the time quite honestly way too much time on their hands to the people who are actually meant to uphold the ruling of giving consequences. The systems. But if the many systems who are supposed to uphold justice can't do that, then the duty falls onto the people as a collective. So fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, depends on who you ask, cancel culture is probably here to stay. I really hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did making it. I'll probably launch a questionnaire or a poll on my Insta on the day of upload or maybe the next day on your opinions on cancel culture because I'm honestly quite interested to hear what you have to say. Feel free to disagree or agree with me. Honestly, I think in this topic, like I mentioned many of times, it is hard to find your footing in terms of where you stand 100%, and it's definitely ever-changing for myself and others. I think having researched it and read up on it, I really learned a lot and a lot that I hadn't even considered, and I'm very thankful for that. 
if you would like to give your input, like I said, I'll probably launch a poll or a questionnaire on my Insta, which is at a lifetime of talk. I'll be leaving now, but if you would like to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you can do that. And you can also download this episode. That is super helpful for me and share it as well. Like I said, I'll be leaving all of the resources that I used in the show notes so you can look out for them if you want to do any further research. I'll actually be going now for real, so I hope you have an amazing rest of your day.